Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. I cannot tell you how lucky you are that you've tuned into the show today. You will definitely know that whatever limits you've set up for yourself, you need to just shackle yourself or unshackle yourself away from it because you will meet Lana Kim or Svetlana Kim, who is the author of, of the book called White Pearl, a memoir of a political refuge, and I will tell you that this will change your life. You will look at yourself and say, why in the world am I setting myself up to feel like I can't succeed or to live within my limits? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to just stop because now you're going to meet Lana Kim or Svetlana Kim. Let me spell that last name for you so that you can know. I mean, S-V-E-T-L-A-N-A, and I'm going to call you Lana. Please, my friends call me Lana, Dr. Carol. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm honored to be your friend, your radio friend. So you must simply dive in, but I I want you to give us a feel for how amazing it is that you are even talking to us today in light of what you've revealed in your book. I mean, where you have come from, makes the fact that you're with us today amazing and that every listener can also have that same amazing movement in their life. Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much, Dr. Carol. Um, It's been a long journey, and I am very, very grateful, deeply grateful to you for creating this opportunity for all of us to learn, to grow, to evolve, because I do believe that our minds, our you know, heart, our soul, our bodies uh, must be nurtured every day with something that mm-hmm. is so inspiring. And I love reading biographies of real people. And I have to tell you, mm-hmm. every person from um, Thomas Edison to um, Michael Gelb and, you know, so many of them overcome many, many challenges. Oprah, you just yes. name it. And it is because they were able to overcome so many obstacles, uh, setbacks. Mm-hmm. They were able mm-hmm. to move forward. Like Bruce Lee, I love, if you visit mm-hmm. his, um, if you read Bruce Lee's books, uh, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his uh, two words, walk on. And that's what we got to do because one is when I realize that accepting life as it is, I just feel, I just feel relieved because Mm. I cannot control my life. Um, I can control my actions, my thoughts, Mm. uh, my Mm. deeds on certain level. But if you talk about life about from philosophical point of view, no one can control it. You know, it's mm. up to, you call, mm. you know, um, the universe, the master, the, you know, God, um, 
whatever is close to you, it speaks to your heart. And that was one that my grandma taught me, you know, just accept it. Anything is possible. But then she told, anything is possible if you put actions. You got to do the work. Mm-hmm. Because so many there of us can meditate for hours and be disciplined. And uh, my mistake was very interesting about manifestation. I focus on mechanical things. I would say, I would sit straight, not move. I would, you know, um, be mindful about my breath. I would be conscious about my um, thoughts. But there was no emotional connections. It wasn't uh, like, well, let's let's say the example, okay. And I hope any I hope ten, any, ten, 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 ten will forgive me. The Dolai Club. I love this book. When I start writing my book, of course I have fears. Who will read my story? In fact, many agents refuse to talk about immigrants and to talk about my story. They said your story is not unique. There are 12 million immigrants in this country. But I followed my friend Simon T. Bailey, international best-selling author, said, Do you believe in your heart? Lana, do you believe in your heart? This is important. I start crying. I I said, Simon, I did not expect this question from you because he is a savvy businessman. I said, I do. He said, and then do it. Nothing, nothing really matters. You listen to what people say, but you listen to your gut. You listen to your heart. And I'm telling you, this is the best thing that I can tell your listener, Carol. I've done it over and over again. Well, I'm going to just dive the listeners into a little bit because here you are, I don't know if you're 18, 19, 20, and you're in Russia, and someone approaches you to buy a $900 airplane ticket, which doesn't sound like much today, but when you look at that, you say that doctors are paid $5.95 a month during that time in Russia, and you're, you're buying a $900 ticket, and you're borrowing from people because you are determined to get here and reaching out to every single resource you possibly can. And your story dynamically finally gets you on the plane and you land in New York with $1. And while I know that there are other immigrants with the same sort of kind of story, but in, but wait a minute, we just need to pause and think what you did so bravely from this, the moment of I just have to get there to pulling all your resources and then finding yourself in a very expensive country with $1 in your pocket. So who who were you and what were the people in your life at that time that made you think that you could actually do that? I mean, that sounds so bold and brazen. Who Who are you and who were the people in your life that said, go for it? My grandmother, White Pearl, she was one of the living survivors of the 1937 deportation of Koreans in Russia, which scholars call Koreosarum. And this topic is very is not known to many people around the world because Kremlin does not want to open the archive to do research. According to the Asian Division at the Library of Congress, there are less than 10 scholars around the world who done research on this topic. One of them is Dr. Ross King, and 
when I was referred to Dr. Ruskin, who is He's a professor at uh, British Columbia University today. I said, I know him. They said, no, you don't because he is not in U.S. I said, I know he's from Harvard. He stayed with my family. And he spent time interviewing my grandmother. And uh, my family helped him tremendously with the research because it's very hard to find you know, Korean, Russian, Korean, and in Leningrad, he was in Leningrad back then. He is the one who understands the language of my grandmother because she spoke the dialect of 15th century Korean. So her family immigrated from Korea on November 18th. 1899, in 19th century, during the era of Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas II. So my grandmother was born in Russia, far east of Russia, which geographically close to Japan. It's so far away from Moscow. And uh, she was 22 when the deportation happened. Many people, of course, too. 100,000 people were victims of this repression. They were first, and then Jews suffered, and 36 nationalities, including Tatars, uh, indigenous people, millions. Um, I don't, no one knows the number, but probably close to 20 million people that perished, and many of them did not tell the story. So when I heard that fact, I felt like I own this book to all people that were suffering during that repression in 1937. It became something bigger than my little human ego. Oh, I want to publish my book. Oh, I want to start speaking. That's not what the goal the goal was to honor the bravery, boldness, loving, kind spirit, optimism of my grandmother and her people. I wondered if that was not kind of the driving force behind all your success in the United States was that I've come here and I'm going to be successful on behalf of everybody that is behind my ability to be bold and courageous and and strike out when it seems impossible and don't give up when things are down, pick yourself up, that everybody in your life that moved you, that you kind of do it on behalf of this cluster, this huge cluster of people that are behind you. You are so amazing. This is, um, this is, oh, you, you're so amazing. Thank you so much for this question. No one asked me this question. So what what insight I have for you is, and I've never and never said anything like that publicly, is that going through and writing this book, I I I I experienced out of body experience. It was no longer me writing. I was not worried about grammatical mistakes I make because English is my third language. I never studied properly English at college. My dear friends, I studied English at San Francisco Zoo. I was below the poverty line. I was in destitute. I had 
I worked for a year because I could not afford the bus ride. I did not have 75 cents in my pocket. Many days I didn't eat. When I took a bus from New York to California, I didn't eat for three days. I didn't know how to use, uh, how to go to public bathroom. I was afraid to meet my bus. So even during this difficult time, I find a moment of joy, just being grateful for one thing that I'm alive for life. And hearing the voice of my grandmother, I knew. I am on a journey, but for somehow I manifested that journey. And I now, and anything that I want to achieve in my life is going to be based on my task right now. I cannot ask for more if I cannot, you know, uh, do my first steps. So, when I was on a bus in a foreign country, just imagine yourself you're in China and taking a bus from Beijing to Great Wall, and you have one Chinese yen in your pocket. I, I don't know their monetary exchange. I forgot. Think about that. You don't know the language. You don't understand. Everything is different. But you find yourself and be grateful for, for life. Whenever life offers to you, just separate that. That you have two eyes to see, two legs to walk, you know, you're breathing. Uh, that alone is a miracle. And then you segment all the problems in a small chunk and you conquer one at a time. So it's step by step, inch by inch, and it's persistence, it's hard work, it's endurance, it's hope, it's, it's, it's people that reach out to you and just give you a very strange open hand. I remember in your story, <clears throat> some stranger comes to the airport when you've landed in New York with $1 in your pocket, no English, and you're sitting in the airport for eight hours and the stranger comes by, and eventually the story unweaves. He gives you $168 toward a bus ticket to go to Sacramento. You never even make it to Sacramento. You go to San Francisco, which works out great for you in the long run. But it's, it's like, who is that stranger? Will he ever read your book? And will he ever reach out to you and say, oh, that was me? Because you had so many strangers in your life that did things like that for you. It's like, it's like an amazing unfolding of human kindness that came Toward you, I'm sure there was human cruelty as well, but what is that like to just see these random acts of kindness come in your direction? Oh, you know, Carol, uh, you're right. Uh, I start drawing, you know, when when we talk about body language and eye contact, so I didn't speak English. I'm sitting there because my friend moved from New York to Canada. And, of course, you know, she invited me. I had an invitation from her, but it's been more than a year. Because back then we had no computers in Russia. Not many families had even a, a telephone line because it would take 10 years to get a phone line installed in your house. They have to, be, they have to wait to buy a car for years. I remember I think my father was waiting to buy his first car 
for years, years and years. It never happened. It never happened. Uh, so we didn't really have we didn't have freedom. So I came from very restricted culture, kind of like in a box culture mentality. And here I am arguing, not speaking English with um, the the homeland security. It wasn't homeland security back then. With the security person at uh, airport saying. I cannot go to California. He said, yes, you can. You can travel any city in the United States. I said, I cannot. And he said, why not? And I'm showing the stamp in my passport, New York. He said, yes, this is New York. I said, no, 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 no. I have to draw him New York. I cannot go outside of New York. And he's like, no. He's showing me on the map. You can go here. You can go here. You can go here. And I'm looking at him and cannot understand the concept. And there are so many people, he was so kind and patient, and he said, you can go anywhere. I showed him a letter with Addis in Sacramento. He said, he's like, yes, you can, yes, yes, you can, go, go, go. So I'm sitting in a chair trying to digest the information, and this young man comes, and I look like I'm from Alaska. It was very severe, cold weather in Leningrad, and I have fur coat, uh, mittens, scarf, my mom knit me car alone, gray scarf from goat yarn. It was so itchy, but it was warm. I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting all these beautiful ladies in mint coats. It's uh, December 18th. People are getting ready for Christmas, all this Christmas decoration. And here I am sitting. And this man, um, I, I, I drove him an uh, uh, airplane. He disappeared, he came back, and he brought 1,500, and I showed him a dollar. So he crossed the airplane, he disappeared, came back, I drove him a train, he came back and he crossed the train. I I did not know because I never traveled, and I didn't know how far Sacramento from New York is. I look on the map, I know it's across the country. So I am drawing him a bus, which I used to take every day, several times a day in Russia. He said, okay, disappears, come back, and write 168, 168, and I show him a dollar. And he rolled his eyes, took my backpack, that's all I had, and we took um, subway, the metro, to the Greyhound station. He purchased ticket, talked to the bus driver, waited until I get on a bus, and he left. Hmm. And I I accepted, yeah. You asked me the question. I accepted, but to me, it was almost like a magic. I mean, honestly, I could not believe it, but I'm accepting this ticket. The person that I can never pay back, and um, you know that that was um, that was an amazing moment that I could never forget. And I think he make me more human. That's interesting. This person, this absolute stranger, you'll never meet, or maybe you might one day. We're talking one day, to maybe. Lana. Yeah, we're talking to Lana Kim or Svalana Kim, and it's about her book, White Pearl, A Memoir of Political Refuge, and you need to read it. It is a fast read, an amazing read, and you'll put the book down saying, what am I hanging on to? Why am I saying I can't? 
Why am I putting up barriers or limits in my life? Anything is possible. Get get on the get on the bus. Get on the train. Get on the airplane. Get going. You've got a calling. You've got a purpose. I don't know what it is, but perhaps you know what it is. But Lana, Kim, you had a sense of what your purpose was step by step by step. But on the other hand, you didn't even really quite know, other than that you were coming to the United States, what you would do when you were here. So you had a succession of lots of different jobs and careers. And whether it's nannying or reading Russian books to someone or ultimately, go ahead, take it away. You have this amazing job and and an amazing store because you walked boldly up to this woman who turns out to be a, a major part of that store and say, I want to work here. So tell us that story. It's just an amazing one. You know which one I'm talking about. You're you're absolutely right. I actually start grabbing rugs from store living, doing all kinds of odd jobs, knitting sweaters for Larry in LA, the big guy who paid me $400 to knit the sweater. And it was like a blanket because, and Larry still lives in LA, so if he's listening to the show, forgive me, but it was like a lot of work knitting your sweater, but I enjoyed it so much. And I don't think you needed a sweater, you just wanted to help me because I would not accept $500 from you. So he said, I need a sweater. I said, you live in LA, what and yes, you're right. So here I am. My airline ticket, which was open for three months, back then was a policy that if you leave Russia, you have to buy a round-trip ticket. And they would give you an open window for three months for your ticket to come back. Well, I've been in the country apparently three months, and my date was my ticket was expiring. So I did not I did not sleep. I cried all night long. And that time I didn't have my own place, so I, I literally was rotating places, homes of strangers. They couldn't afford to keep me and say, you know, and I'm so sorry, but my friend has a room. Why don't you go there? We'll drive you and you sleep there. And then their friend would refer me to somebody else. And meanwhile, find some jobs to do or exchange room for board and do errands. Uh, but that uh, time, you know, I did time, not you know, look, did oh, not my gosh, oh, my gosh, here I am cleaning restaurants or doing this. I was, so I was so grateful. I was so grateful to earn and to have some food. And one day, and one I went day, to Salvation, went Army. To Salvation Army. Army. My ticket expired, and I made a decision, a commitment to stay in the United States and to have a better life. And I went to Salvation Army store. I didn't know about Salvation Army. It was just so... Everything was from ten cents to you know five dollars. I had dollar fifty. I purchased makeup, put makeup on, and I saw the bus number thirty-eight. I took a bus and end up at shopping mecca in San Francisco. And I saw the first big store. It was Macy's. I didn't know what Macy's was. I pushed the heavy glass door and I saw. One word that I could read, and I was so excited. It was, it says Lancome. 
the brand that the I can order for the, the, as a student in Russia. And I walked in, and I don't know how I asked for a job. They had no openings here all that day. So they said, the vice president was visiting the store, and she said, we'll hire you, going to fill out the application form. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know how to fill out the application form. And I just said, I need someone to help me to show me. I just don't understand what it says on the form. So they were so kind and helped me. They said, just write your last name this way. Here is your first name. And, of course, there was not much to fill in because I had no experience. And... I got the job 13 hours, and with the one condition, if I don't make my sales goal, they have to, they they will let me go, they will fire me. And I knew that's the only opportunity now. And I develop a system. Every person who walks in, I would take their address. And I would make my own cards or use long home cards and mail them. Beg them, we had a lot of services that we can do. But on my own, I was taking the bus after work and delivering products to their homes if they're too busy or just couldn't come to the store for some other reason. They're not feeling well. And I developed a relative of very loyal clients that first year, I overexceeded my goal so much. That I became the I president became circle, the member, circle member, and I was and awarded, I was and I met chairman of Macy's. So that was so 1994. That was 1994. Fast, forward Fast forward into 2011, 2011 the same the young young sales professional, sales professional 13, hours 13 hours a week, $10, dollars an, hour, an hour, becomes the spokesperson for national Asian Pacific American campaign for Macy's for entire seven plus hundred stores, traveling and sharing the message of hope and perseverance and pursuing the dreams all the way from New York City where the headquarters is all the way down to Los Angeles. I was in 50 publications overnight from MSNBC to Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, Washington Post, and someone wrote, congratulations on your overnight, on your overnight success. success. <laughs> and I finished their <laughs> sentence, preceding by years, by years of, struggle. of struggle. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know that story that you talk about, you walk in the store, uh, it, 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 you, you do you remember in your book you talk about how you're, you approach this woman, she says, well, do you have any sales experience? And you actually want to almost choke and say no, but you don't because you remember all the sales experience you had with White Pearl, your grandmother, and selling kimchi, selling fruit, selling bread, <laughs> and, and that you told her the dynamic of that, that experience you had in Russia, and she embraces you as this human being because she also likes kimchi. Because she can see inside, she can see inside of you that of course you're a very good salesperson. It doesn't matter the area, and, and in fact, you know what, Lonnie, you were selling yourself to her, 
And I think that that's one of the things about you that over and over comes out. I was on your show talking about the how does a person overcome or how does a person succeed. And one of the things about you that seems to radiate is that you can take people's heart and connect to them and they connect back to you so that there's this this flow, this infinity flow of delight in being able to be mutually able to assist one another. Do you recognize that about yourself? <laughs> I, 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 you know, that's, uh, I don't know, but what I know is that when we think about a life bigger than what I can, you know, I need to sell this uh, jar of cream, I need to sell one car today because my boss is expecting me to sell, I need to close one more account, corporate account to sell software. So we narrow the focus on that, but when we stay open and say, I want to do something good today. I want to do, I don't know who that person is. I want to do good. You just go outside and you just put there and say, universe, I'm here to create goodwill for others. Show me the way. Use me as an instrument. And I think that's one thing happened because people told me that, your story, it's like unreal. I can't believe that you did it. And I think people asking me, it took me so many years to write my second book, how I did it. And it's still so difficult because I came to conclusion that everybody's life is precious. And, you know, Carol, everyone is born to be happy. Everyone, because if we talk about, I am reading many books about the philosophy of Buddhism, and one of the Buddhist monks from Korea wrote the story that I think you will appreciate, why your human life is precious. Because we we could come back as a bird, as a snake, as a cat, as a bark, as a cockroach. But to be here in that physical body with a brilliant mind, the chances are like this. Like dropping a needle from heaven that will hit the smallest master seat on earth. Yep. When we appreciate <laughs> our life, our life, the universe will open for 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 us to evolve and to grow. Because we're not here to suffer. It's just a lesson we need to learn. So when I look from that point, the obstacles I have, because my grandmother didn't use words uh, failures, we didn't have that in vocabulary. Um, we, we, we use a lot, uh, if you translate word struggle in Russia, but not really failures. So I was really fascinated that I hear a lot here when I moved, and I was fascinated by whole self Help category. I went to the bookstore and I said, I think I wrote this in my book. And I said to a person at the bookstore, I'm looking for self help. And he looked at me, he's like, Doesn't look like you need it. And I said, Oh, yeah, you don't know my life. I do need it. Please show me the shelf. Oh, interesting. 
so so in your so in Russia uh, in Russia they don't have the word for failure. Your, your white pearl certainly has endured all sorts of horrible devastations. Whether it's uh, wasn't it her husband, your grandfather who lost his arm to a train? Was it you know she was deported and deployed for many many years from her home and lost everything. Um, we could go on a very long, complex story in, about her life alone. But I'm wondering to what other degree her life and all the other Russians that you were associated with, you think about them and then you contrast the life you have here. And do, do you often contemplate what life would be like there if you had stayed? And do you feel like Russia has changed considerably? and therefore it's not so different? Or what, what's your take on the contrast or comparison between who you are and what you get to be here versus who you are and what you would have gotten to be there? And um, what a great question. And, in fact, this is the conversation I have with my parents. And because they know who I am, they understand. Some people, even my close friends that I went to college in Russia, think that I talk too much about politics or, you know, the self-help, the spiritual uh, books are not um, popular. Well, now there are reading, of course, and they're looking, you know, they're watching the trend. But even 10 years ago, um, it was very hard for people to talk about that because, during the World War II, the World War II even, before, even before, they destroyed every destroyed single church, every in Russia. church in Russia. They destroyed, they destroyed most of the Buddhist temples, of the Buddhist temples in Russia and Eastern Russia Europe. And one of the temples that was saved, um, I mean the building was not destroyed, was not bombed. It's a temple, Buddhist temple in Leningrad. It was the only one that survived. Uh, uh, when I was living in 1991, I saw monks walking, young monks walking in orange rods, and it was not open to the public, but they already started working there. And I was asking, why this temple is in a close proximity to where I live? That was the question. I always had curious mind, and I always would ask, questions about simple things that many would say oh, it's, it's not significant but as I'm getting more mature and evolving I learned that this insignificant signs or messages or even our actions are very meaningful and I always kept on the back of my, you know, in the back that there is a message I need in this month. So later I was reading about Buddhism, the purpose, and, you know, the, the, the purpose according Buddha, who was a man, a noble man, um, he was not God. He left his beautiful family, his father, because he was curious why people are suffering. He saw the different world. His father sent him beautiful dancers and musicians because he was approaching 18, so it was time for probably for Prince to get married. And he looked at them. He looked and was fascinated. He looked at them, Dr. Carroll, as art. 
the way they move their body, the way they use their voice. He was not looking for them from the physical point. Oh, she is uh, slim and beautiful and has lost her black hair. He was looking at the creation of the universe, the art, the gift they bring and share with others. Beautiful. So life in Russia is very different, very different. I love Russian arts and people because the that word struggle in Russian it's trudnosti, and the first truth, the half of the word means work. So the struggle means you gotta go through that, but how? By working, mastering either your mind, your you know your spirit. So my grandmother so my always, grandmother believed, always that believed that they they make they us better people. better people. And I agree with, with, I agree her, with her because if I wouldn't start in restaurants and working as a salesperson, doing all this odd jobs, I probably won't be human as I am today. And I don't. And and I I'm not as human as my grandmother. I mean, she was. Well, this is the story well, that is, is not in a book, but it was told by my my, uh, aunt. my uh, aunt. Grandmother went to the market where she used to sell kimchi, herbs. And one day she saw the same woman that she's seen for a few days, and she asked why I'm eating, meeting the same person. And she was like her. She said she was like me, Korean. And I was thinking, I cannot leave a member of our big family on the street. It's a shame. So she brought this woman to our house. She was stinky. She lost so much weight. Her skin was hanging. She fed her. Uh, the woman apparently died, and my grandmother arranged a funeral for her. Here it is again, another example of people just actually just so helpful. They are involved in each other's lives and are not really afraid to take on the burden of helping another assist, a, a person to assist. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable uh, declaration. I, I think in the United States that uh, at least the cluster that I'm around, it seems like we're all very progressive and we want to make a go and we're friendly and, and caring, but to actually go the extra mile to take someone in, to pay someone's ticket, to do this, that, and the other, to help someone it, 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 with their funeral, as a stranger, it's like this is a different mindset. And I love the idea that you say it's because every human being is so incredibly valuable, so special, regardless of the way they've cultivated themselves. And it seems to me, Lana, that you too are okay embracing that about yourself, that you are also a, a wonderful amazing creation or, or individual and that you have this sense that other people will enjoy also helping you. That it is a it is a mutual journey that we all kind of share together and that it's it, it's just a, a different mindset. Is this a, a Korean, a Russian Korean mindset? Is this a Russian mindset? Is this a uh, the idealistic uh a communistic that we're society where we are all in this together, we're all equal, uh, we all need each other's help. What a great question. together. 
What a great question. Many questions in one question, but I still, yes. um, I, I, I'm trained to remember that um, I did not forget to answer your question. What would my life be if I stay in Russia, if I ever think about that? And I'm coming back to that, and then I will answer this question. Yes, I do think, and I believe that the longer I live in the United States, um, I came here on December 18, 1991, so let's say 14 years, 24 years. I know that I was destined to be here for one reason, to experience the freedom that my ancestors, my grandmother did not experience, and have the voice for people who did not have the voice. Because my grandmother was the first Asian-American in her town who was accepted to college in 1937, in Vladivostok, she wanted to be a teacher. She wanted to study literature. And she married to a very handsome young man who was the editor of first Korean newsletter in Russia. But my grandmother was bold enough. Uh, she asked for a divorce, and back then, the word divorce did not even exist. Many marriages were merged and um, they will choose a husband for you. Uh, he was um, he he was uh, very handsome, and he was uh, like my grandmother said. He was a womanizer, but she wanted to have children. She wanted to be happy, so she went to her mother and said, "Mother, I'm not happy in my marriage. I wanted to leave this man, and I'm here to ask for your permission." And her mother, Elena. Very quiet woman said, you make the decision that will make you happy. Wow. And my grandmother divorced her husband, and then deportation happened, and then she met my grandfather. Uh, yeah, so I think about my life in Russia. I knew that I would not have freedom to express and to write and to speak and to say what I'm saying. And for that, I'm very grateful uh, to be here because if I did not see so many of us don't even think about that even little fact about the freedom, the freedom to express our thoughts and feelings. That's why everyone who wanted to create, I always encourage, do it. You have you have a CD to create, do it. You have a book to write, do it. You have a speech to deliver, do it. Absolutely. Didn't you, when you were growing up, Lana, did you feel oppression in Russia? Because you also radiate in your book this wonderful existence of amazing foods and natural living and great, wonderful times with other kids and um, a hard work and diligence, but still reading all sorts of wonderful books. I was in shock when you made your reading list of what you read as a child because I read the same things in the U.S. And it's like I was amazed that they would have those in the bookstores, that they had libraries in everybody's or many people's houses that, it didn't sound like the type of oppressive Russia that was portrayed to me when I was the same age in the U.S. hearing there were rumors about Russia. So were you aware of the limits or the oppression in Russia 
when when we when, lived in Russia, um, I wasn't aware because it was it was a it was communism. And uh, we were, the message was everyone is equal. Everyone is equal in what you own, what you have, and how much you make. For example, the salary of a doctor, teacher, or even a driver would be probably the same. So uh, the education was uh, a focus, and every and I wrote about this, and I thought many people would just you know I when you write again you write because it's something speaks to your soul, but many people were surprised to read about the same very fact that we had libraries. Every family wanted to provide the best education, and we were so fortunate because education and me- uh, medicine was free for all people in Russia. It's not, it's very costly now. I mean, education is, uh, we can talk about St. Petersburg University, it's about eight to 12000 a year when average salary is three dollars $400 a month. That's, that's very expensive. Yeah. So my so grandfather, my I came from a family, from a family where, where there were farmers, were but at the farmers, same time they're very creative. They appreciate nature. They love reading books. And I was very lucky that my grandfather introduced me to the library when I was six, and we would borrow books every week from the library. Every family wanted to have their own library in their house. Books were very precious. Books were very expensive. And books and library would be passed from one generation to another. For example, some books that my father read um, it was his gift to me. He passed down to me. And now, since I'm not living in Russia, my mother passed all the books that I received from my cousin who lives in Leningrad. Um, I, she said, would you like me to save them? And I said, no. And she was able to give to um, my cousin's children. So what we do, we just pass it from one generation to another. The same with clothes and shoes. I was um, I was wearing a lot of you know sweaters and pants, jackets that were sent to me by my auntie because my cousin was four years older, and we were we were taught to appreciate and to think not only about yourself. Well, I got this pair of shoes. I have to take care of them and be careful and wear them with with uh, you know just to be gentle with shoes or clothes because. They might go down to somebody else in my family. And I think that kind of system creates um, that, you know, you, you, you think about others, not, not only about yourself. Well, it is a, it is a, a, it's a story to be visited, folks. You have got to expand your mind by reading White Pearl and I, a memoir of a political refuge. Lana, I'm just watching my time disappear with you and realizing that we're just barely touching the surface of the <laughs> dynamics that you've gone through in your life. And I have so many questions to ask you, but I think that for the sake of the listeners, I want to move us uh, a, a little bit from Russia and to the United States in the following way. When I went to Russia, I was incredibly struck by how friendly everybody was uh, to us as tourists. Um, but then they also, when, when I would ask them personal questions, they would hearken into stories about 
how they were strong and persevered and how they were eager and enthusiastic about their their future. And I don't think this is all the political thing that I was being told or the propaganda. There was a true dynamic and energy among the many people that we were privileged to meet where they were enthusiastic about their future. And I yeah, have the same yeah, experience I, with you. Well, thank oh, you so much. And answering your question, was it the Russian Korean? And um, I don't know the answer, but I know that because we struggled so much, it was uh, very common for our neighbors to knock on the door to come in and ask for a, a, for a glass of sugar. And she would say, you know, I'll bring back when I... When I, when I buy sugar, I buy and, sugar and it, before I left, before and we, I had, left, um, we had um, we had shortage with everything. So we had monthly allowance to buy one pound of butter, two pounds of detergent, you know, bar two or three bars of salt. That kind of um, difficulties and challenges make people be much more closer and to help one another. I remember when I lived in Washington, D.C., we had a shortage. We did not have electricity. It was July. It was extremely hot. And I had to drive from Washington, D.C., from the district to Maryland or Virginia to recharge my iPhone. And I walked to the and Starbucks, there was a long line, line, and I've seen this guy sitting at the same table, drinking his same Americana, not talking to anyone, not making eye contact. But that day I didn't recognize him. He was holding the door. He was saying, okay, don't touch the full phone. We have people lining up here. We have half of the phone. Go outside. Wait. Let others recharge because people have emergencies. People have children. Olders. I look at him and I said, I didn't recognize you. I said, you probably didn't have Americana today. He said, I didn't because we have no electricity. And he was so serious and then he was laughing. He's like, I'm joking, but there is no coffee today. And I think that kind of difficulties make people closer. You know, when we have so much, we wanted to be so independent. This is mine. This is, I can make it. I, you know, I, I can have that. I, I appreciate that. I love that. But we, we, we got to bring the sense of communities. That's when we're going to be emotionally healthier, and our emotions will make our body much more healthier. Okay, so this community of the United States of America that you have embraced from the West Coast to the East Coast, from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., you have interfaced with people on all sorts of different levels, politically, financially, uh, business-wise, from, from the top of the financial ladder to the bottom of the financial ladder. And I find it, again, you able to speak with such respect about everyone regardless of their supposed position or post. <laughs> and it, well, and in light of all that, <laughs> well, let me get to the question because in light of all of that, many people are afraid of moving up the ladder or progressing because they feel like they can't fit in with the next echelon of people that are in the next ranking. 
And mm-hmm. I find in your book that you recognize that there's some sort of rank and that you are not as privileged as some of these people that you are approaching, but you nonetheless approach them with such boldness and clarity and anticipation they want to help you. So what have you discovered in terms of human beings at all mm-hmm. different levels? What a beautiful question. A beautiful and I'm going to give a description. So I was with uh, Lancome. I became one of the top salesperson. I moved, got many promotions. I was hired by Laura Mercier when the company was three years old. I spoke in Washington, D.C. at Diversity Conference. The first time ever I spoke publicly, and it was a disaster because I did not know the corporate topic of diversity. In my word, diversity meant everything, the food you eat, the books you read, the people you meet, anyway. But people loved my human story of struggles coming with $1 because they realized that I had to overcome and there were Wondering how I was able to do that. Like today you post on social media why, how, and what has happened. And that was the conversation. So I, I was emotional. And I learned emotions are good because you show the human side. Number two, I was embarrassed of my past, of my cleaning work and all this. But in order for me to get a job, I was invited to work in Washington, D.C., for one of the most prestigious PR firms. We created a book on diversity. We put conferences. We worked with Barack Obama back then, um, Congressman, we worked with Diane Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi, CEO of Playboy, 135 Fortune 500 companies. I started at the front desk after working as a stockbroker for Payne Weber in Washington, D.C., and inducted into Hall of Fame on Wall Street. Here I am answering the phone at the front desk at a small firm in Washington, D.C. And I progressed very quickly because I went to the founder and I said, can I help you to analyze business plan up to $15 million? She was getting ready for a very important meeting with a client, and she did not ask, did not question my ability. She said, yes, we have five minutes to leave. You come to the room, you sit with me, don't say anything, just observe. And that's exactly what I did. And after that, I gave her the strategy what to do. And it worked very, very well. And that was my role. Come and quiet, sit, and observe. Leave and tell what 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 you like, what you didn't like. And that's how I was exposed to high-profile people. I was on Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign as a fundraiser for 18 months. And after that, I was invited to volunteer in the presidential correspondence office for President Obama at the White House. And, of course, it was an honor to serve American people. I did that, and I published the book, and I spoke at Yale, at Georgetown Business School, um, at international conferences. Um, um, I spoke, I was invited by Minister of Culture, um, spoke in Greece. Um, I, you know, I speak. And one of the things that is... I I never look at the title of the person. I never look how much millions they have or they don't have. I look what they have that is so unique 
God make them who they are today. And believe me, some people that I met, very, very successful. And they, you know, this person and I were able to laugh about mistakes we make and talk about something. For example, there is a woman, uh, Gloria Gohan, who was part-time salesperson for travel agency. Working for this woman, this woman retired and said, Carol, would you like this little office? And Carol said, I would love to. And today it's $1.7 billion, the largest travel agency, every single agency of government, Department of State, Department of Labor, uh, has contract with um, uh, 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 with her company, Miss Gloria's oh company. My gosh. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so she and I met in Washington D.C. And guess what? We did not talk about billions and titles. We talk about her husband who was sick and she was traveling and taking care of him. She was talking about the days they spent together walking down the beach and being in the sun and laughing and all this food they shared with friends. Don't be intimidated by anyone. Everyone has a beautiful story to share. If you're human, if you open up, you're sincere. They can sense that. If you are sincere, they will open their heart, and you, they will let you be in their life. It's not by force. It's by genuine interest and love. So this warmth that you have, that you're able to mobilize the world with, is that what you would describe White Pearl as as well? Yes. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She yeah. was a magnet. Everything was, uh, she was very successful. Selling kimchi, she was making more money than my father, who was a medical doctor, than my grandfather, who had, you know, the highest pension that anyone can retire and dream of in Russia. It, it's because she was very genuine. She was real. She was not afraid to show her human side, and she never portrayed herself being a perfect who knows everyone. No, she was very humble. I will tell you, folks, that you just need to read this book, White Pearl and I, a memoir of political refuge. You've been listening to Svetlana Kim from Russia, Korean from Russia, which opened my eyes to a number of different political aspects of life and historical situations. But mostly that you have inside of you this incredible power to connect others, to both help and be helped by others, to make your dream doable and to work hard getting there. But Svetlana, Kim, as we tie this program up, what do you want to to shout out to everybody that's listening so that they can mobilize into being incredible human beings to help other incredible human beings. My grandmother said anything is possible. This is the words and blessings uh, before I decided to leave for America, and I'm sending her wisdom and blessings to all of you and blessings to you, Carol, for your work, your dedication to help people and humanity. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than 
your successful practice. And also, I will leave you with Pablo Picasso words. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Thank you for giving away. I'm truly, deeply honored to be here with you. Well, everybody, you have just experienced what her trick is, is that see how she honors all of us, and then she tells us to go out and keep honoring those around us. So it's a ripple effect of, of love, of appreciation, respect, and helpfulness to everybody, and that's how we get outside of our box and help people live outside their box as well. Well, Svetlana, Kim, how do they reach you? How do they buy this book? Let's just tie that up so they can go out there and immediately embrace this wonderful, wonderful biography. On SvetlanaKim.com uh, Svetlana is my website. On Facebook, it's easy. Uh, social media, Google+, Twitter, LinkedIn. And if you put name Dr. Carol Francis, who I adore, respect, honor, oh, you'll hear from me within 12 hours. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. It reminds me in your book where you say that you used to take make 500 calls a day when you were building your business. Wow. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. go out, go forth, work hard, and make life happen. Thank you so much, in, Svetlana. In the, 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 the world offers abundance for each one of us. Each one of us. No one is taking your happiness, your success. It's there for you because... Universe created for you, so no one can really take it, and no one wanted to take because everyone is busy creating their own abundance, happiness, and success, like Dr. Carol Francis and her guests. And I know this is created for you, all the listeners, and I just wish you all the best that life can offer many blessings and share and share your gifts. Beautiful. Okay, so there's no there's no shortage for all of us. No, well, I believe there is there is no shortage. We create our own limitations. If we have time, I'll tell you a short story. Okay, go for it. I received a phone call from a listener, and he said, can you reach out to this person who might be a very interesting guest on your radio show? Before I even Google that person, before I find out who this person, what the story is, I said, Oh, no, I don't think so. The, she probably, you know, if she was on CNN, on NPR, they probably would not come. And he said, you didn't even try. And I said, Look, and I said, you're so right. I limited myself before I even began my action. And I said, thank you so much. I have to go. I Googled. Yes, this person was on CNN everywhere. And this person is coming as a guest on my show. Her name is Christy Frank. She was on Oprah Winfrey. She will be our guest on April 22nd. And she was... She won the Apprentice uh, show with Donald Trump. She opened her first raw restaurant in Santa Barbara. Never, never knew anything about uh, the the business. She was a real estate agent, but she purchased a investment property, and she said, I need to do something. Why not to open a raw restaurant? And who walked in when she opened the door? Jim Carrey and all the celebrities. So we're going to find oh out how right she was now, able to reinvent herself. Now she has magazine and really dedicating life to inspire all of us that we can do it. That was my lesson. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. Our soul oh, limits ourselves, our lives. Yeah. And there are many ways to many ways to help us. You know, hypnotherapy, uh, you know, uh, uh, giving you a call, sitting with you. If I had access back then when I was struggling and met you, oh, my gosh, I would be, uh, you know, I would I would probably make less uh, errors and mistakes and have hardship and move uh, forward to my goals uh, quicker. Do you think, though, that uh, because you so embraced hardships and that you know you just have to get up every time you get knocked down, do you really think that you were slow or were slowed down in what you accomplished? No. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> no. <laughs> and the, the the reason is because life uh, creates magic for us when we're open. And they're so beautiful. They're so beautiful. But if we let fear to control us, we're going to be stagnant and create the stagnant energy. So today I encourage all your listeners, do one thing, just one simple thing. Either respond to all emails that have been sitting and people are waiting for you to respond, or organize your files, or just take a walk, just something little today accomplished, but with emotions. It's really just be there. I don't know if you're a mom and, you know, peeling potato right now. Just be there and appreciate that potato. Connect with that. Say thank you to the farmer. Thank you for the store, to the driver who brought this to the store. Thank you for people who are working uh, at the registers. You know, if you are just busy today and you're drinking a cup of coffee right now at your desk, or even if you have no desk, you're sharing space with someone, appreciate and say thank you for this hot coffee. Many billion of people in the world don't have clean water. If you can hear beautiful Dr. Carroll's voice, appreciate that you have hearing. So much that we take for granted, and you have lived a life without that. So you know what it's like. You know how special a computer is, a phone is, a car is. You know because you've lived so much of life without it, and so many people in the U.S. have not a clue. They take it for granted. And you wake us up. Oh, everybody, you really do need to read this book. Wake up so you can really utilize all the resources that are there right there in front of you. And oh, you know, Carol, so much, I, oh, oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, we can go. I wanted to share a story. One of my mentors, okay, this is people ask me, how did you publish the book? Because you never, English is not your language. Or you're scared, of course. This is how I did it. Serendipity. My first client in Washington asked me, well, you have good resume, and I know you're working for PR firm, but this is not what I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask what was your first job when you didn't speak English, your first six months in America, and I said, I don't talk about that. And she said, well, I'm your client, and I would like to know at least a little bit. Yeah. And I said, it was ugly. She said, 
I wanted to hear that. I said it was painful. I wanted to hear that. And I said, are you ready? And she was having really delicious Thai food. And I said, are you ready? And she's like, yeah. And I said, scribing restaurants for prostitutes. Yeah. She looked at me, took my hand, and she said, have you ever thought about writing a book, Lana? I said, Jean, no. No, I didn't want oh, no. and no one wanted to read that. So here I am sabotaging myself and limiting myself. I hope listeners can understand because it's through listening to somebody's stories that we can say, aha, I do the same, or aha, this is what I need to change. So that yeah. is a ha moment for me. And guess what? She introduced me to her friend. Her daughter worked uh, for movie studio in L.A., and her job, Jennifer, her job was to read the uh, movie script. And she would be the one who would approve your script and move forward. And she said her name is Sam Horn. She's a best-selling author. Oh, Carol, you should interview Sam. Sam Horn. And she wrote this book, um, Tank Fu. Tank Fu. She, she, she wrote many best-selling books. I call Sam. I'm crying on the phone. It's Memorial Weekend. I have nothing to do. I'm crying. And I don't even know if I give the spiel right. I said, it's a story about my grandmother. This is why the deportation. That's how it was my, I left. It's in 10 minutes. I received the call from her assistant. Uh, no, actually, she was managing the office, not assistant. Sherry Grimm out of California left me a nice voicemail while I was putting makeup on and fixing my mascara after crying. And she said, Lana, this is Sherry Grimm from Sam Horn's office. We got your message. Sam believes you got a book. Oh, Can wow. you come Can you to come Sam Horn House Sam this, weekend? this weekend? I'm calling back I'm calling and screaming, back. Yes, screaming. Yes, 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 I can yes, come. Yes, I can come. <laughs> so I, yes, so I, I met yes, with uh, Sam Horn, and, and she said, By the way, I will be MC at Maui Writers Conference. We have best-selling author so-so-so. And we would like you to come. I had already tickets flying to Russia to visit my grandmother. That evening I got home, I went online and submitted my not even manuscript, 13 pages outlines of what could be a, a potential book. And I said, well, tonight is a deadline. Everyone is already chosen for the workshop. Why am I doing and then the voice said, because you promised to Sam Horn. So I finished. And that midnight, I received a beautiful email from the founder of the Maui Writer Conference, uh, John Tillis. And he offered for free to be my editor. And he said, if you write from the heart, I save his letter. And he said, Fear nothing. Let the readers crawl inside your heart. Write a thing that you don't even want to share. 
here. Then you write a blockbuster. She said, you must come. I came to Maui very scared because I'm in a room with 10 seasonal writers writing their second, third, fourth book. And my teacher is Ron Powers, one of the top nonfiction writers of the United States. Senator Kennedy called Ron Powers and asked him to collaborate on his memoir, The True Compass. He wrote the book, Mark Twain, and Ron Powers co-authored the book, Flex of Our Fathers, with James James. Mm. Not Redfield, I forgot the name, I apologize. And that book, book, uh, James Bradley, uh, Bradley. and that book book became a major motion motion film directed by Spielberg. Spielberg. Mm. In this room, room, he said to me, young lady, what's your name? I said, Lana Kim, Kim. and he said, you are not on my list, you may not sit in my class. Oh, my goodness. And I said, and I because said, I was at it last minute. And he said, I he should, go, I by should go by the list. And I said, okay, sir. And, said, and he okay, said, and in and fact, it's very hot in the room, and I am getting ready for the class to teach. And I said, Mr. Powers, can I help you with the air conditioner before I go and find out where I'm supposed to sit? I look very unorganized. And he said, if you, uh, that would be kind of you. So I go to the main office, and I said, I'm not on the list. And they said, yes, you are not in a fiction class. You are non-fiction spirituality. Okay, another sign. And I said, Ron Powers needs more air in his room. It's a little warm. They fixed that. They said, the air will adjust the temperature right before the class, a few minutes before the class. Just let him know. I did that. And I'm sitting. I'm not supposed to be in his class. I'm sitting quietly behind him. And he said, everyone, please. Um, uh, show me your homework uh, uh, your because homework, we were supposed to bring supposed 10, to bring copies, 10 of copies of the manuscript to give to all the students who will be critiquing the manuscript. And it happened that 70% of the class, about 7 out of 10 people, didn't have copies of the manuscript for others. And he looked and he said, well, we have a volunteer in our class. Her name is Lana Kim, but I'm not even asking if she has extra copies. Not only extra copies of my manuscript, I had my book proposal, I had my marketing plan, and I put each copy of this in a plastic plastic folder so it will be easier for people to carry. And I quietly put in front of all ten people and run powers and one copy for myself. And he said, well... Would you like to critique her work? And they give me so many feedback, and I had to put my ego aside and say, I'm not a writer, I'm new. I think they had so much fun with my story because I never wrote. I was like absorbing like a sponge. Oh, yes, good idea. Oh, yes, good idea. But it was a good idea because everything that I I learned next five days in a class Saved me years and years of my writing. Mm-hmm. 
So none of our so work is really work none. Is it's really all, collective. all collective. That's beautiful. And Ron Powers became my mentor, my mentor and became dear friend. Oh, wow. Well, Lana, there's more to the story, but we have got to call it an end. So with, <laughs> thank with you all so much again. Do, I thank you so much for your time and your effusive capacity to share with us and inspire us. And we shall do this again. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you and, so much, and Dr. Carol Francis. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> and I, I, um, I, I'm so inspired and grateful for your beautiful presence, for your sincerity and the depth and very, very creative questions that come from your heart. Is, um, you know, I, 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 you make my day, and I'm very grateful. And you because make your mine as signature, well. Your signature is <laughs> elegance, elegance, truth, truth authentic, authentic, sincerity, beautiful. beautiful. Mm-hmm. May you remain, may you remain happy, happy, beautiful, beautiful prosperous, prosperous, and may you, and may you continue, continue to bless other to people bless through other your work, your, work, your, mission, your, your mission, your purpose, and we are and sending we are you collective hugs. Oh, thank you so, so much. Well, folks, with with that, remember that what she just blessed me with is also what you're blessing us too and having heard and participated with us. Please do not hesitate to go get White Pearl and I a memoir of a political refuge. You think you heard the warmth in this person today? Well, just wait till you read her book. You all take very good care. Be inspired and be your magnificent self. Cheers.